Oh, man. So let's talk about porn. Yeah. <laughs> Get down to business. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. It's fake, phony, fake. It's going to the top 1%. There you go again. Now, even as we speak, there are those who are preparing to divide us. Change is coming whether you like it or not. You are listening to The Fence. I'm your host, Danielle Anderson, and I'm sitting down with my friend, Maggie Sustick, who is a social work student at Wayne State University in Michigan. Because the purpose of this podcast is to talk about it from both sides, I'm going to be taking more of the like libertarian stance on this one. It's certainly changed since the inception of the internet, but porn-related, pornographic material has been around for quite some time. Even though we think about it as internet videos, there's been, you know, erotic novels have been written since... I think the first French one was in, like, the 1600s. And then during the 1900s, like, dudes would get together in their basements and watch, like, stag films. That was, like, what they were called. <laughs> and they would sit there and, like, all watch them together, like, with their buddies. I think that's Just really... Just a night with the boys. <laughs> like, like <laughs> cracking open a cold one. I think that, like, you could go to, like, a movie theater and watch it. And I remember hearing about... There was this one film called Deep Throat that was, like, such a big deal. And everyone... When it came out, people were freaking out about it. And, of course, neither you or I were around at the time. But, like, people would take, like, each other on a date to go and watch, like, a dirty movie. In a room with a bunch of other people? Yeah. I... I that just... To me, it doesn't <laughs> seem like a good time. And I guess, like... Because what what's happened is that we've sort of privatized this idea of porn, that it's come from this place of public thing that, like, everyone kind of knew was happening, and of course there were, like, naysayers who were like, oh, you guys are a bunch of perverts, to now it's, like, this thing that we kind of assume everybody does, and then we don't really talk about it. So, when it started coming out to the internet, people called it cyber porn, which I think is so <laughs> quaint. And I read, according to a 2017 article from Huffington Post, which admittedly is like a hype monger, and I'm not a fan of Huffington Post, but I believe this story because they could back it up. Porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And then what really, what really ground my gears, Maggie, was I read that (laughs) last year, more people voted for Pornhub videos than in the United States presidential election. Oh my god! (laughs) I want to be 100% shocked, but I'm not. There's so much porn. But people pump out these videos because it's just about a profit. Right. You know, people aren't making a profit on presidential i mean yeah that's debatable right uh, because, yeah <laughs> because obviously there's a lot of corruption but <clears throat> it isn't it's not an industry the election yeah, isn't it necessarily isn't. an industry yeah and especially comparing it to the sex industry forget about it yeah no minuscule but the part of me that really wants to engage people civically is like can we please vote on something that matters instead of like which person's penis you like better right (laughs) because that seems like it'd be really subjective you know yeah but another study that i read uh carnegie mellon when cyber porn was first coming out in 1994 they conducted a study to see what people's porn habits were and almost half the porn downloaded was pedophilic yeah which is really disturbing and i didn't know how that compared to now in 2019 15 years later so 
from 2005 to 2013, searches for the teen genre mm-hmm. on porn sites tripled to 500,000 a day. So 500,000 searches of the word teen on, like, mainstream porn sites. They tripled from when? From 2005, the number in 2005, to 2013, it tripled in that span of time. The teen thing is really disturbing because what are the implications with that? It's pedophilic through and through. It's the idea that grown men, oh, this girl just turned 18 and she wants to have sex with me. Like, she just, yesterday was her 18th birthday and she's legal and now I can have sex with her and I won't get in trouble for it. Yeah. I also think about the whole 21 thing, too, because you can't drink when you're 21, but once you turn 18, you can legally have sex with a 35-year-old. Right, Um, like, barely legal. Yeah, barely legal is huge. Yeah, it's huge. So, it's illegal to have anyone under the age of 18 in pornographic film. That's for sure illegal. However, the law that was under scrutiny in this Ashford versus Free Speech Coalition, which was heard in 2002... So we had a law on the books, Child Pornography Prevention Act of 1996, which prohibited any visual depiction um, of an um, someone that appeared to be a minor. There was, like, this group of pornographers, essentially, that were like, well, that's so vague. You know, we can have our, we can have our teen porn. I don't know we exactly. We our cheerleader right. outfit. Right, because technically you could say that there is a depiction of a minor there. Yeah, like the cheerleader outfit, the schoolgirl outfit, those, like, really, really small 18-year-olds. Yeah. Maybe they're 18, you know, as we just even, mentioned. Yeah, even, like, like the babysitter kind yeah. of genre. Yeah. yeah, the babysitter genre. However, the Supreme Court decided in 2002 when they were um, trying to decide, basically the question presented to the court was, you know, does this law abridge the freedom of speech? It came down to First Amendment. So essentially what the court was trying to decide was whether or not this law went too far by saying that you can't portray the image of someone underage. And the court actually decided in favor of the pornographers by saying, yes, it is, you know, it's too vague and it's unconstitutional to abridge the freedom of speech if that freedom of speech is depicting people who are 18 but are minor-like. That's essentially what that law says. Whoa. So we have that precedent that the Supreme Court has put in place. It's basically like an interpretation of that 1996 law. So it's totally legal to have 18-year-olds that look like they're 16, 15, 14 in porn. That's crazy. According to our government. That blows my mind. (laughs) I mean, Anna, it makes sense in a way, but it's still gross. (laughs) So, but that being said, what do you care? Because if they're 18, they're a consenting adult and they should be allowed to partake in whatever kind of activity they want to. I mean, you might not agree with it, but that's your own moral relativism. Like you, you know, you can't just say just because you're not okay with it. That doesn't mean that Sarah from next door, that's her body even to make it kind of feminist. That's her body and she should be able to do whatever she wants with it. I can't dictate what you watch in your personal time. Like, I can't dictate what you're into. It really comes down to a personal moral agenda. I'm okay with an 18-year-old consenting adult having sex with whoever she wants. Mm -hmm. Or he. 
What I'm not okay with is having teen be a keyword because that's the idea is that, oh, a teen, like maybe she's not actually 18. Maybe she's younger. Another thing too is that we have these grown women dress up in kids' clothes. You're watching this video about a teen girl having sex with her teacher in high school. Air quotes around all yeah. of those words. Yeah, all of those words. <laughs> you could make the argument, right, and you did, that they're basically still a kid. They're still in high school. They're still drinking. But that's the point, right, is that we have this law in place to make sure that we don't have, like, actual 16, 17-year-olds. They're all 18-year-old consenting adults. You're right. We have the 2257 compliance, and it states that any person portrayed in any sexual manner for any form of explicit entertainment must have some form of proof that they are of consenting age. So this means they need an ID, a birth certificate, and they need to include their maiden name and or their stage name, alias, nickname, or professional name. They have to do this on camera before they shoot a scene of explicit nature. Wow. Yeah. And how long have we had that law for? Since 1988. This has been active for a very long time, but since the dawn of internet pornography, we have produced so much more of it mm -hmm. that how do we actually know that these women are of consenting age? Like, unless a law enforcement officer says, hey... This person doesn't look 18. The producer or whoever has this footage could go to law enforcement and say, hey, well, this is them on camera consenting to this sex and verifying that they are 18. But there would be a lot of work to put in. To We can't go through all of these videos. You so know? what you're saying is that there's an enforcement issue. Exactly. There is also an incentive for money to be made in this industry. So how do we actually know that these producers are abiding by these laws constantly? Okay, so that being said... Maybe, you know, we can get better with the regulation. We can make sure that we don't have anyone in porn who is underage. Because I think we can all agree here that pedophilia is not okay. So if we fix that issue, if we fix the enforcement that we're seeing where we do, you know, get people that are underage just because you said cops don't have the time to go through everything. So say we fix that. We have everyone show their IDs to the camera before they start filming just to like make sure everything's copacetic and everyone's legal then at that point are we allowed to have our porn because this is freedom of speech technically yes in a perfect world we could but people do lie people mm -hmm. fake ids and fake ids is also a big issue with human trafficking which is another big part of the porn industry but is that really as prominent as you know, the feminists and everyone claim that it is human trafficking. Not that that doesn't make it okay, but, you know, is, isn't that issue exaggerated to a certain extent? No, it's not. We always hear this thing. Everyone who talks about human trafficking says it's happening right under our noses and it's so scary because we don't know what's happening. Yeah, and that I've is completely, that yeah, and it's completely factual. They call it modern-day slavery for a reason. According to, I believe it is the Polaris Project, there are more slaves in the world now than there were before slavery was abolished in the U.S. More slaves in the world now? Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you know how much of those are sex trafficking? So we have an estimated 40 million slaves worldwide today. 27 million of those victims are trafficked for sex. The average age of a victim is 12 to 14 years old for the sex trafficking. So the quote-unquote happening right under our noses point is 100% factual. That's terrible. That statistic is terrifying, but isn't 
human trafficking just kidnapping someone and then like forcing them to be a prostitute? Sex trafficking is loosely defined as like any sexual act performed as a result of coercion, manipulation, threatening, or like debt bondage. Debt bondage. So like if you like loan someone a lot of money and then oh to pay me back that money you know you can do basically they make them a prostitute right? Yeah because they have no other debt quote unquote. Yeah they have no other choice. For instance I could be a girl who is looking for a job as a model and I could think oh I'll just go on Craigslist and look for modeling jobs. Sure I mean I look on there for everything. Cars, appliances. (laughs) So I could be a girl looking for a modeling job and I could go on Craigslist and look at the job section and say type in modeling and I could stumble across an ad that says modeling gig free flight to Miami and you're like shit I'll take yeah, it yeah I'll go to Miami for free damn <laughs> um and I'll model shoot right and then, I mean I would if you know if we weren't having this conversation I that might be something that I would do if I was into modeling. <laughs> right, yeah, it sounds great. But yeah. Like, but you know, it's that almost too good to be true type right. of thing. Right, Um. But if you're ambitious. Right, and I... if you need money, mm-hmm. plus you get to go on a vacation kind of. It sounds kind of like a vacation. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go to Miami right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I could, you know, I could see an ad that says free flight to Miami. Just send me a few pictures of you and then I will get you, I will get in contact with you. That could all work out. I could be on a plane to Miami with a ticket with my name on it, get to Miami, land at the airport. So this person comes and picks me up, this person that paid for my ticket and wants to hire me as a model, could be really nice to me, you know, they'll buy me clothes, they'll buy me food, they'll bring me to their, you know, loft apartment or their shared house. Yeah, and be like, okay, so you're gonna live here, um, just get everything situated, um, meet everyone here, we'll talk to you in the morning, go to sleep, wake up. The next day, they say, okay, so since you're living here, you're gonna have to pay room and board, and you now owe me $3,000 because you need to pay me this money because I am letting you live in this home that I own. Right, and it's not like they can just be like, oh, well, I'm not down for that arrangement because they also paid for the plane ticket to Miami and all the clothes. Right. Exactly. When they were kind of, it was kind of like a, they would be put under the impression that they were being paid for all that stuff because they had like just accepted a job and it was like part of their work. Right. Like when you start a job at any place and they give you like a uniform. Exactly. If you're a model, then yeah, you're going to get clothes and you're going to get, maybe you're going to get a place to stay as part of, as part of that job. I mean, that's not an uncommon thing. Especially when they're paying to take you to a different state. Yeah, no, tra- it's traveling for work. Yeah, exactly. So they hit you with this bombshell, you have to pay me X amount of money, and then you say, oh, well, what about modeling? Oh, well, it's modeling, but it's, you know, modeling on camera, naked, having sex with other people. So, and they can sugarcoat it all they want, and people mm-hmm. believe it because it sounds great, you know? On paper, that's, like, a great opportunity. Like, Mom, I'm going to Miami, like... So it's just, it's, and that, that is like the prime example of sex trafficking because you were coerced into thinking that you have this, this great opportunity and now you're being coerced to have sex with strangers because you are being bonded by this debt that you have to this complete, utter nutcase. Yeah. This kidnapper essentially holding you hostage. Well, that's awful, but I'm sure their family members come looking for them, right? They could but 
a lot of the times when someone is trafficked, they are manipulated into thinking that they, you know, their family didn't want them there anyway. Like, nobody is even looking for them, so why do they even care? And a lot of the times, the trafficker will tell them that. They'll say, oh, yeah, like, I called your mom, because they take their phone. Mm -hmm. I called your mom, and she said, you know, she doesn't care. She doesn't want you back there. You were too much for her to handle anyway. Oh, my gosh. And part of it, I'm sure, is, like, the shame of now that you're involved in, you know, the sex industry, essentially, that... I'm sure they probably don't want their family to know. Exactly. Because we, you know, demonize sex, and especially on camera. Exactly. Yeah. And you would you would think that, like, I would think, putting myself in this girl's shoes, that, like, oh, I know, like, my mom and dad love me so much. Like, they would do anything to, like, get me back here. Like, and taken. Yeah! <laughs> Liam Neeson is the, what's the word? Liam Neeson is the- Quintessential dad. He's the quintessential dad. Taken, the Taken movies are just the, you know. Are those accurate though? Uh, No, they're like a really poor portrayal. Because that's the idea that I have in my head. Yeah, that's what most people think when you say human trafficking. You think, oh my god, Taken. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not like Taken. It could be, but it's not, you know, it's a movie. So like, you know, you're not- that's a little over the top. It does definitely happen, but mm-hmm. not in the way that it portrays because it's a movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely, it's realistic to a point. Okay. Another thing too, now that we're talking about it, not only do these traffickers say, oh, your family doesn't care about you. Like, I talked to your mom and she doesn't want you there. Say this victim doesn't believe what this person is saying. This trafficker has the power to get this person addicted to drugs to a point where they are dependent on their abuser so they won't leave because where am I going to get my heroin if I'm not with this man? Like, yeah, I have to have sex with all these people and I have all these STDs, but I get heroin. And that happens in this country? Yep. Constantly. In my research, I actually got to talk to a woman who was trafficked for... I want to say at least 20 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she was in a relationship, quote unquote, with this pimp, and he got her hooked on heroin, and she was an addict for a long time, and he took her out of the state, you know, she lived in, I think, Tennessee, and they took her out to Vegas, they took her to Texas, and they just, she was trafficked, she couldn't get out because she was addicted to heroin. And she told me that she didn't get out of it until her pimp brought her to Michigan, Grand Rapids specifically, and part of the reason why she got out of it is because I'm looking at a statistic right now. This is from Hope Against Trafficking. They are a Michigan-based anti-human trafficking nonprofit, and Grand Rapids was the city in Michigan with the second most calls received by the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. So they got the second most reports. They fall right under Detroit. So essentially that saved her because somebody saw her and had a suspicion that she was being trafficked and then they called the tip in and she got out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So in my professional opinion, we can get all the legislation we want, you know, against human trafficking. We can take the legal steps, but there will always be people that will not follow the rules. So another way to stop human trafficking is to educate the public to find the warning signs because in the end that's what saved that woman that I spoke to is somebody saw her and just 
it didn't seem quite right so she just called just to be sure and then now she's she's clean her pimp is in prison and now she is an addiction counselor no kidding that is an incredible story and i'm really glad that she got out of it because that sounds that's just crazy and it's crazy that it happened right here um in our state because we're recording from michigan (laughs) but it seems like they would have some motive for human trafficking is seems to come back to that profit motive why someone would do such a horrible thing is that they can rationalize it with the amount of money that they're supposed to make because again we have you know this constant flood of porn and they make money on every video right And that's completely true. But from this trafficker's perspective, I can get this girl into porn. I don't have to pay her at all. And I can make her do whatever I want because I don't have to pay her more. Because in pornography, certain scenes make like more or less money than others. They pay more because more people are watching it. And they also pay more because less people are willing to do it. So given the information that we have, 20% of all internet pornography involves trafficked children. 20%? Yeah. That's like a fifth. Yeah. And the total market value of illicit human trafficking is estimated to be in excess of $32 billion. Whoa. That's about $10 billion less than what Apple makes per year. That's crazy. So that just goes to show that in the end, these people are just in it for profit. Yeah. So this, this human trafficking is a problem with like a huge scope clearly right and it's you know i think that from all angles of this argument i think that people will agree that we don't want you know human trafficking because we can see that this is a clear crime against humanity we don't like human trafficking we're not okay with it being in our porn however there has been a lot of pending legislation to try to combat the issue the buyer beware act would which is designed to increase the penalties for sex traffickers and people who patronize sex trafficked prostitutes and just sort of like put some of the responsibility on the consumer to make sure that they know what they're getting into. I think I think it's specifically aimed towards prostitution, but the implication is that if you're watching porn that was made with human trafficking victims, you would be liable for that. So I think that would be one way that we could combat the human trafficking issue and and get it out of porn. Um, It unanimously passed the Senate Judiciary Committee last week as of June 23rd, 2019, and now it's headed to the House floor, and it has 25 co-sponsors. At that point, uh, we know that, you know, there's no human trafficking involved. There's no child porn involved. There is no legal basis for limiting access to porn because it's protected by the United States Constitution under the First Amendment according to the Supreme Court when they made that decision in 2002. So if the girls are 18 years old and consenting, everyone is a consenting adult, we've got their IDs, we know that the IDs are real, there's no there's no legal precedent for that. And what's going to happen if we, you know, start saying, well, you know, we can't have violent porn, we can't have, um, porn with girls who look underage when we start putting all those regulations on it what's going to end up happening is we're going to end up like iran it is literally illegal for people to view obscene materials even accidentally people can be imprisoned and even tortured for trying to access porn websites so i just think 
I want to live in a country that has freedom of speech. Outlawing porn, people are not watching it at all. This will help them become less of a, like, a sexual deviant, quote-unquote, or, like, they, have, they will have less potential of being a rapist. Maybe they have access to porn, so they're kind of getting their urges out that way, and they don't have to actually be violent towards another human being. They can just watch porn. Sure, you can make that argument, but isn't it more likely that a 13-year-old boy who has more access to pornography than ever before sees that type of violent porn and therefore associates that type of sexual behavior with what is expected of him? Yeah, I think I read that there was a study that tried to find, it was trying to study that relationship, and they they were looking for people to study, and so they found like a bunch of 20-year-old boys that had seen porn, and then they tried to find other 20-year-old boys that hadn't seen porn, and they couldn't find any, <laughs> because it's it's Jeez. so prominent. In fact, according to a study published in 1991 by the International Journal of Law and Psychiatry, an increased availability in violent porn was followed by an increase in the number of reported rapes in four different countries. Yeah, but correlation doesn't always equal causation. I mean, four different countries, that does make an impact, but there were plenty of other different things that were going on culturally during the 90s that might have caused an increase in the number of reported rapes. And maybe it is, but going back to the whole, you know, children having more access to pornography, two in five kids ages eight and under in the U.S. have their own tablets. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy in and of itself. I remember when my family got a computer. I know, And I was so excited and I opened up Internet Explorer and then I closed it because I didn't know what it was. Yeah, (laughs) right. But two and five, that's crazy. Yeah. And eight and under. Approximately 40% of sexually active 14 to 18-year-olds claim they have learned more about sex from pornography than from school. And 93% of boys and 62% of girls are exposed to internet porn before the age of 18. And so what's the harm? You know, if a 14-year-old boy watches porn, I feel like that's normal nowadays. So, I think that since nowadays every tablet that we have in our hands has access to the internet. So pornography is one click away. And especially if a child has never watched porn before, they don't know what they're doing, but, you know, they're just going to click on whatever they see. And that's the issue, is that the majority of internet porn is affecting how young men perceive women and how they should treat women during sex. So most mainstream pornography nowadays is focused on how the woman looks and acts and how the man feels. It's based on the male gaze. It's If you want to find porn that is made for women, you have to go out and search for it yourself. It's not right there when you open a porn site. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, it's mostly geared towards men. Right. That being said, if a child goes onto a porn site and sees this like violent, <laughs> inconsiderate, non-intimate exchange between a grown man and a quote-unquote grown woman, Mm -hmm. he is going to think, okay, maybe that's how I should be acting when I start to have sex. So, in my opinion, early access to the wrong types of pornography can teach young people just the completely wrong things about men and women sexually. Okay, but isn't violent porn, like, I don't know, I feel like that's not, like, really what mainstream porn is like isn't mainstream porn just 
people having sex, like, the violent porn is kind of, like, a whole different thing that you have to go off into the woods to find. And that's what I would like to think, too. The numbers seem to speak differently. One in three women who watch porn say they have a hard time finding content they like. Wow. Because it is so violent. Like, it's viscerally difficult to watch that happen. So maybe we just need to increase access to women-friendly porn. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm here for that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, and that could be a thing, but it's, It's for me, it's not going to happen because the porn industry is for men. It's managed by men. It is geared towards men. And it's made for men. Unless a, a producer is going into this business thinking, I want to change the way that people look at porn. I want to make porn for women. I do not want my porn to be violent. Mm. I don't want it to be what the mainstream porn industry is today. Mm-hmm. In order to make, like, quote-unquote, women-friendly porn, you have to do that by trying to break the system that we're already in. Sure. So that's a challenge in and of itself, too. Right. So pornography has always been marketed towards men. The ideal image of a woman depicted in pornography for the male gaze tends to be pretty skinny, have B to C cut breasts, medium length hair, their personality is playful, flirty, it's like girl next door kind of archetype, and they also have to be hairless completely. From the eyebrows down, they have to be completely hairless. And women who do not fit into this category are considered fetishes. Afro? Long hair, pixie cut, and rarely on a mainstream website like Pornhub will you find something related to the men's bodies. It's mostly just the women, because the women are more objectified in these videos, unless you're going on to the gay side of that, Mm -hmm. which is a completely different can of worms. Mm -hmm. Straight porn, quote-unquote, is geared towards men's satisfaction. They can find any woman that they that you know they can find any woman that fits this picture that they want them to fit in plus they can find what they want them to do in the video so if you're a woman who likes to watch porn that is a bummer i want to agree with you but but you can't you're not allowed i know i disagree with i'm trying to argue for the other side here so all that aside so what if women's bodies are portrayed a certain way i mean they're portrayed that way in every other avenue look at movies tv magazines that's nothing why should we expect porn to be any different and why does it matter you know what i mean that again why should your opinions about how you think women's bodies should be depicted even if they are realistic conflict with my first amendment rights my right to consume violent porn as much as i want that has these skinny blonde with high heels um (laughs) objects basically you know what i mean like where where do my rights stop because you're trying to push a feminist agenda and to that i want to go back to my argument that said it's down to your moral values Mm -hmm. you can watch whatever you want but i think that we should be conscious of the idea that we are perpetuating even when we don't think we're perpetuating these ideas by putting one view on this porn video with a million views it has already but that one view that we put on it puts it to the front page and who's seeing it on the front page not only all the people just going on Pornhub anyway but little kids and that's where I try to disconnect myself we just need to get the idea in our heads that there's something wrong here it is not normal 
in an objective viewpoint, it is not normal for us to be fetishizing teenagers. But, again, an 18-year-old can consent, so it's not harming them in the same way. So say we know that they're 18. Is it really harmful? I think it's harmful to the public. I think it's harmful to children who tune into porn. I think it's harmful for grown men and women who who tune into porn. But is it harmful for the girls themselves who are, or the women, you know, however you want to say, the, is it harmful for the porn actresses, the performers, like the, like the trapeze artists and lion tamers <laughs> of These performers. Porn. Yeah. These is, exotic performers. You know what I mean? Because if like we said a child, that is harmful and there is really no dispute on that, but I don't think that it would be harmful for an adult. For that, I can't speak on their behalf because I have never been in their shoes. I do not know what it's like to be a porn actor. I cannot speak for the mental turmoil that they go through or do not go through. I can say that it can be physically harmful to them in that not only do we have every STD in the book that can be transmitted, even though, yes, these people are still getting tested, a lot of people could not be getting tested and say that they were and then go and have sex with somebody on camera and then these porn actors, therefore, are spreading diseases in the community. Which, in the community, it is frowned upon. It is not okay. But so is not presenting ID when you start filming a pornographic movie. But people still do it. So, STDs, you have yeast infections, you have... Okay, that's the end of the episode. (laughs) Adios. Yeast infections. (laughs) Bullshit. You have have yeast infections, you have unwanted pregnancies, which lead to unwanted abortions, which Mm -hmm. is a big can of worms. What I can say about the mental and emotional turmoil is that it is definitely hard for certain people, I would say a lot of people, to go through all of that and have sex with all these people, and push your boundaries, and keep trying to be relevant in the industry, saying one day that you'll only do girl-on-girl scenes, but then the next week you're presented with 500 or $800 to have sex with a man, and you really want to do it because there's so many porn stars in the industry, and you just really want to get that money and get that recognition. And sooner or later, you're just, you're just sacrificing your own health for it. And one thing that I also wanted to talk about, which is, I apologize, this is very disgusting... <laughs> there is a term in the industry called ripping. Um, ripping is where a woman's perineum tears from the vagina to the anus. This is mostly caused by the act of double penetration, or double penetration pays a lot of money. So for a woman who wants to make that money in the porn industry and wants to have that recognition and have her name up top to where Lisa Ann and Sasha Gray are, she's going to push her boundaries because that's what these people are telling her. Like, you need to do these things to be famous and make money for yourself or make money for your family. You're making it sound like it's coercion. Yeah. A lot of cases, yeah, it is. And even if, like, with the consent argument, like, they're not doing, making all these decisions for themselves. Even if they say that they are, there are people in the background telling them things their worth is based on the money that these people are making on these borderline abusive films that these women are being put in borderline abusive and then sometimes some of them are abusive like yeah, some straight of that up really abusive. violent stuff yeah so at that point i mean is there any porn that is okay and we know the impacts of violent porn people have the right to consume it but there's all this evidence that 
might lead the average consumer to the fact that it's probably not the best thing to be watching and supporting and especially not to be buying. So that being Mm -hmm. said, what about like, you know, organic porn? What about like me and my buddy get together and we're like, we're going to do this and then we're going to sell it. You know, if I'm a feminist and I watch something like that where I know for a fact it's two consenting adults, um, you know, it's it, maybe it's made for women, maybe it's made with people of all different body types. Is is that okay? Or is, you know, what would your opinion be on that? I think that the safer way to go about watching it, again, there's still that gray area where we do not know. We don't know if there's somebody behind the camera. But a lot easier to trust that sort of content rather than a professionally done male gaze oriented production. Right. Because it goes back to the word organic. If it's just two people, I think that is a lot healthier than watching these professionally done, scripted, directed, managed video. And there's a lot of feminist pornography that is focused more on the couple themselves, on the actors being comfortable, rather than just the act. But judging from the amount of profit, we know the professional porn, the female-oriented porn, is not making the money. It's the teen porn. It's the abusive porn. Just the views they get, the likes they get. Shares. People share porn videos. Just like, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Um, but yeah. Hey man, check this out. It's kind of like a modern day stag party. Is Yeah! Is, uh... Side note, I've worked with some guy, gentleman, who <laughs> shared like a couple porn videos to his Facebook. I don't know if it was an accident or not, but like people liked it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, we're gonna unfriend this person. Um... <laughs> I didn't even know Facebook would allow you to do that. It, yeah, I think it does. It does. Apparently. It did for him. And that just goes back to how the male gaze is, it dominates over the female gaze. We, the male gaze makes more money. So according to Pornhub data, um, and this was published in 2017, um, women watch more porn than men do when you take into account the minutes that they spend online. Women are watching porn. It isn't like a drastic thing that mostly dudes do it. It's There's an unmet need for porn that is actually realistic and that appeals to women and what women want to see. So what's the takeaway here? So my takeaway would be that porn industry is not regulated as much as it should be. And I think that being conscious of what you watch is the first step. Mm -hmm. I think that making sure that you're not, in my opinion, perpetuating a toxic view on women and men. Right. Well, that's one thing that we didn't talk about. So we'll mention briefly. It's, it's not that this violent... I mean, you should be concerned, in my opinion, about the fact that this violent porn is also portraying men as abusive, violent beings, and men, that's not fair. It's not fair. And it also perpetuates the idea that men always have to be a certain way. They have yeah. to be rough and dominant and, and some aggressive. Men are not. Yeah. A lot of men are not. And it's, and it's tough, again, going back to that 13-year-old boy that, you know, clicks onto... Pornhub, like he is, you know, that could make him think that he has to be that way to be a quote unquote normal person. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. That's toxic for any male, any young male to think that that's okay. So, I mean, in that respect, it sounds like the organic porn route might be the way to go. Mm -hmm. You could also take the stance that, you know, my socialist ass is thinking throughout this entire episode that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. 
Awesome. <laughs> um, but that being said, I mean, we, we try our best, right? So we do do the metal straws and we tip our servers, even though they're making below the minimum wage. And, you know, we can try to seek out the organic porn. You really want to watch it. I think that doing your best is probably the way to go. Yeah. In terms of the human trafficking, because I know we spent a lot of time talking about that today, and we went over, like, the extent of the issue, and it's obviously quite serious. We're working on legislation for that as a country right now, but is there anything that our listeners can do to help stop this epidemic that's going on? First one is, if you are watching a pornographic film or looking at pornographic photos, and you have a tiny suspicion that the person that you are seeing is underage... You can, you can contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They have a cyber tip line. And you, even if you're not, if you're not entirely sure, just put it in there because they will investigate it and they will get to the bottom line. Yeah. Now, Maggie, if they turn someone in or, you know, potentially turn someone in, are they going to be liable for accidentally having watched child porn? No, I don't believe so. And that website to the cyber tip line is www.missingkids.com slash get help now slash cyber tip line. If you see any warning signs that you think someone is being trafficked, please call the National Human Trafficking Center hotline at 1-888-373-7888. So what would warning signs be? Most common areas of human trafficking are buses, any public transportation, so buses, subways, trains. What about those scooters? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you live in Detroit, you know <laughs> what we're talking about. If you've been to Detroit, you know the scooters. <laughs> and airports. Airports are huge. Warning signs, like, per individual can be the inability to speak for themselves or not being allowed to speak for themselves. So say you run into a girl and an older woman. And you say, like, hi to the girl, how are you? And then the older woman says, oh, she's fine, don't worry about her. Mm-hmm. If you try to strike up a conversation with someone, they're not allowed to speak for themselves. If someone older than them speaks on their behalf, if they show signs of malnourishment, fatigue, or poor hygiene. If they appear fearful, depressed, anxious, paranoid, etc. Exhibitions of these emotions become much stronger around or at the mention of law enforcement. Other good places to look are gas stations, truck stops, or parking lots where truckers usually hang out. So, like, sometimes you'll see a semi-truck cab parked in a Meyer parking lot because they're sleeping there. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be a good area to look. Fun fact, if a truck driver is taking, is, like, sleeping at a rest stop, it's customary if they do not want to be solicited for sex, they draw an X on their door. Wow. Which is insane to me. So it's that common that they... Yeah. Truck stops, we're talking like across the country? Yep. Truckers Against Trafficking is is an organization that trains truckers and bus drivers to effectively point out signs of human trafficking and have identified over 1,130 victims. And if you happen to be solicited for sex from someone who you think is a minor, call 911. Your local authorities... But the hotline is the best source, so 1-888-373-7888. You can also text HELP or INFO to 233733. Not For Sale is an organization that advocates for human trafficking survivors by providing housing, education, vocational training, rehabilitation, and mental health services. 
Well, and one thing that I had looked at, there was like a website, sweatfree.org, that will allow you to find um, clothing manufacturers that don't use sweatshops. So that's kind of cool, because as we know, there are plenty of manufacturers that do. And again, oh yeah, in my opinion, no ethical consumption under capitalism, but again, we can do the best that we can. And the last organization that I wanted to give you guys for a resource is the Polaris Project. They are a nonprofit, non-governmental organization that works to combat and prevent modern slavery and human trafficking. So they are running the National Human Trafficking Hotline. So there are plenty of resources that you guys can check out if you want to take action against this massive, massive issue that we've got on our hands as a society. Um, another thing that you can do, I would add, is find out if your senator is a co-sponsor of human trafficking legislation. You can Google, who is my representative, and give them a call and encourage them to support legislation regarding human trafficking or really any issue that's important to you because those people work for you and we pay their salary. <laughs> um, that's just one thing that I would add. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be the first guest <laughs> on the fence. <laughs>